before we step into this, we read something and we'll pray together. Teach me, O Yahweh, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all of my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it, and incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for all that it tells us. All that it instills within us. Thank you for its authorship. Thank you for every single claim. Thank you for our time together this morning. Pray, Lord, that your blessing would rest heavy on it. That our hearts and minds would be prompted because of your goodness to receive it. That we would walk in the utmost humility because we have it. Thank you, Lord, for being good. And knowing that you bless the gathering of your people. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you notice, you're going to have a handout that is in your seat. As you know, I had a little email sent out letting you know that some of the things discussed today, be prayerful over them. You can't exactly call a sermon controversial issues and it not stir something. Some of your responses were really great. Thank you for the chuckle. That was good. What exactly are you going to say? I said, well, why don't you come and find out? That's good. But here's what I would like you to see first. Real quick, there's not going to be anything up on the screen. I don't have a PowerPoint up here. I'm not going to write on on the screen or any of that. I know. In fact, I'm probably going to make you really nervous because I'm going to walk around a little bit. I'd like you to take a look at this crass illustration real quick if this reveals anything it reveals my ability with a computer which is not much a lot of times what we are told are controversial issues are not we've been told that they're controversial for a reason but they're actually not controversial. In fact, they're barely even debatable. 
which I think is interesting. But I think that this illustration hopefully sums up for you. And before you make any rush judgments, please formulate this in your mind for a while. Let it stir. Let it sit with you. Reason through it. But a lot of the things that we see up in the top tier of the branches is actually a manifestation of one pathway. And that's a pathway called sin. And we have to ask the question, where in the world does that come from? Many times we try to pinpoint where things go wrong, where social ills take place. Sometimes we, we miss the why, and we just try to go for a remedy. And when we try to remedy a lot of social ills that are a result of sin, we actually end up finding that we've made things much worse. Or in some way, we just now become contributors to the problem in a roundabout way. All good intentions. I think that's what's important. I think anybody that wants to step up and say, I want to help in some way, that's amazing. Because a lot of it is just getting unglued from our seats to make a difference. But I think when we look at a situation like this, if you look at the roots down at the bottom, every one of these problems as manifested comes down to one point. It's a rejection of the Bible. That's it. It really is that simple. It's just a rejection of what God has said. Now we have ways that we get around that. We say, well, I, I really want love to triumph over verses. I actually saw somebody had a shirt made up like that. Love over verses. And what's interesting is, is that tells me a lot about a self-conception of love if it's been divorced from the Word of God. Because if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's one massive love letter of God reaching out saying, please know me. Please don't go another moment without me. It's His cry to us, His creation. Another way that people deal with this is they say, well, I don't believe the Bible. If that ever happens, just ask, what part? And what you'll find 10 times out of 10, they can't give you one. Or they haven't read it. Or if they read it, they found one verse that they found on Google that really just, oh, just gets under my skin. And when they do that, they lift up that one verse, but they can't tell you anything that's around it. They can't place it into a context in order to get a proper understanding of how we should view it. And so somebody has got this anger-filled, hatred, mindset, rejection type of ideology all over one thing. I, this is what it says, but I don't know why it says it. That's a deficiency in information. And it's a conclusion that's reached too quickly but you probably back up and give a little bit more time. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, I think this is really important to say. If you are someone who is a believer in Christ, and you so understand 
that God speaks through His Word. You can be sure of two certain things. Try to boil it down. There's more, I'm sure, but two certain things. Number one, your hard times are going to be met in a way that you cannot describe. And that's because God is a supernatural God. And so when you're in the midst of loneliness or fear, or you're overcome with depression, or you've just been beat down because our world is so full of hate. Our churches should not be full of hate. Christians should not be looking for people to hate. Who can I hate next? It's not what it's about. We've never been given permission to hate. But when we find that there's some sort of response that way towards us, There's everything right and good about expecting the Lord to meet us where we are in that moment because He's promised to do so. Which actually gives way to the second thing you can be sure of. Hate will come. Hard times will come. Persecution will happen. In fact, Peter tells us, not in this chapter, but in chapter 4, don't think it's strange. Why in the world is this happening to me? You ever done that? I just do that in life every day at least twice. Right? Why in the world is this happening to me? Don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised when people hate you. And so what's important for us to see here is maybe some encouragement in this. Chapter 3, verse 8. Let's start there. To sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Do you know what verses 8 and 9 are? It's a definition of a good church. That's what it is. And it's encouragement about the perspectives, demeanors, and attitudes that Christians hold individually that if they will all simply hold them together will radiate into a good church. It says in verse 10, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God listens to the righteous. But His face is set against those who want nothing to do with righteousness. That's pretty simple. I know the arguments that often come up that the world wants to throw at us. Well, if God is a God of love, then how in the world could He set His face against people? Because we often forget that God is a God of justice. The Bible is not old country buffet. You cannot show up to this leather-bound, cow-skin, ponderosa and choose what you want on your plate and move on. The Brussels sprouts matter. And we often love to live 
with an eclipsed view of who God is. These are the things I like about God, but I don't like this. And so therefore, there's no room on my plate. I have no appetite for it, and I can't stomach it. So let's just leave it there and hope it stays warm for somebody else who can handle that. I think one of the reasons maybe we respond to that is because that's often summed up in the attribute of justice. God brings wrong to justice. We would not even begin to understand what righteousness is if God did not maintain His very person in demonstrating for that in the Word of God. All we've seen are corrupted bits and fragments of what maybe justice or righteousness looks like. And this is what causes us to have such a slant towards God. Recognize this. God is Creator, not creation. So therefore, He is automatically wholly other than anything else that we would ever think Him to be. In fact, when we bring up these ideas in our life that God, I like this about you, but I don't like this about you. What we're saying is, is that somehow we've gotten in charge of controlling who God is and how He works in our lives. Now that's not from God. That's how the world works. Because everything is about me in the world. think of a mom sitting by the swimming pool you care less whether or not their child's going to drown but when they find out that all of a sudden they're eight seconds behind on their facebook posts they got to get a picture in of what a good mom they look like click and post it why because the world has become a show of me and it's about what i want There's a lot of problems stitched into that. Let's continue reading. Verse 13. Here's a good question, believer. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Do people normally want to take up a baseball bat and chase you down for doing good things? Not normally. But we're starting to see some of that. Look what it says, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, notice that because that is the proper motivation. Are we all about living a life for the sake of righteousness? It's a good question to ask. A lot of times we want to talk about how we've been infringed upon or how we've been beat down in some way because somebody didn't like something that we said when what we said had no connection to godliness or righteousness or holiness or goodness or justice or any of that stuff to do with God. It was just simply us asserting our opinion and we're upset because somebody disagreed. Stop being surprised. We are not an authority. Stop asserting ourselves. But if we put ourselves forward for the sake of righteousness, if all I care about is living for Jesus Christ and nothing else, then the idea that persecution would come my way is strange. Why is that? 
Somebody name something bad that Jesus did. Somebody name somebody that Jesus hurt. Who's that guy in the back alley that he beat up and then spray painted his car? Who is that guy? Can't name it, can we? Because Jesus Christ is the very standard of righteousness in our lives. And when we look to Him, we learn what it is to live in harmony with God because we're doing God's will, not our own. This is the danger that we face right now in Christianity in America. Christianity is becoming a meism, a self religion. And it's not. I'm so tired of seeing all these Harlequin novel looking pictures of these masculine, muscly men. And somebody somehow computer-generated Trump's face over the front of it. He'll save us. No. He'll damn us. Be ready for that. Doesn't matter whose face is behind the microphone. There's no hope in it. This is where the church has failed to look to Jesus Christ alone. Now notice what it says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are what? Blessed. Pause. Who wants to be blessed? Maybe not in this way. But if it's going to happen, you'll take the blessing, right? At least let me get a blessing out of this. Yeah. So there's hope in this. Notice what it says, and do not what? Do not fear their intimidation. Pause. This tells you what opponents will do. They will try to use fear as a tactic to intimidate you so that you will shut up, sit down, be quiet, leave them alone, stop bringing truth up, stop bringing God up, stop bringing the Bible up, and do not be troubled. Now that's easier said than done. But when you feel like the walls are caving in on you because you're trying to stand firm for Jesus... That'll get you off your, your center point a little bit. But now here it is. The believer's prescription for persecution. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Pause. The word sanctify, set apart, means the idea of being holy. It means that whatever else is struggling for attention in the central seat of your being, needs to be absolutely dethroned so that Christ alone is sitting there as He should. Now that might take a lot of prayer. That might take a lot of mind renewal with the Scripture. That might take a lot of confession of sin. But when you find yourself in a persecuted situation or you find yourself holding fast to something and somebody is coming against you for the sake of righteousness, there has to be a moment, a quiet time that you have internally with God. Is there anything else that is trying to sit in Jesus' seat in my life? That has to be dealt with. So that He can sit without a problem. Everybody knows the princess in the pea story, right? Nobody wants squirmy Jesus on the throne of their heart, okay? Get that stuff out of there. And let Him sit there as He ought to. Sanctify the Lord, Christ, as Lord in your hearts, always, always 
Always. Which means that there's never a time that this isn't there. Always being ready to make a defense, to give a reason, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Notice that. Being prepared to explain why you would hold to righteousness. And the fact is, is what they're recognizing in you is hope. Now think about it for a second. Do we live in a hopeful world? No, not at all. And yet they're to see that in us. Are you ready to talk to them about it? Or do you tell them, are you ready to tell people why your joy cannot be stolen? Maybe back that up a couple of steps. As believers in Christ, do we even have joy? Have we found that the next thing that's going to give me my joy is my caffeine fix? That's really what I'm looking forward to today. Really? Isn't it a day where God is ready to work? He's ready to move? He's ready to do things? He's ready to change lives? Absolutely. But I sometimes wonder if we've so dumbed down the idea of the supernatural. He's finding very little to work with. It's like putting a child out there and wanting them to keep entertained for just a little while, but you only gave them two Legos. There's only so much they're going to do in a situation like that. And then it's over. Notice, have a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, here's the attitude. With gentleness and reverence. Respect. So many Christians are mean. Too many Christians are hateful. Too many Christians respond to the person who responded to their initial post that they didn't like in a way that is very unchristlike. They got so mad. Pause. Was your comment made in alignment with the truth? Were you talking to that person in alignment with the truth? If the answer is yes, why are we so threatened if we have the truth on our side? Because if it's not truth, it's a lie. Dare we say it in a postmodern world? Two and two is not five. There's no gray. Do it with gentleness and respect. Is that your attitude in talking about the hope that you have? Notice what it says. And keep a good conscience. Free of sin, free of spite, free of hate. So that, here's the reason, and the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Why? Because deep down when you press people, they actually know what's right and what's wrong. The reason for the vitriol, the octane that we see spurting out of this is because we want to hold on to sin. We actually like sin. In fact, the greatest dichotomy that's pulling at us from the inside is we're all sin lovers. Isn't that the problem? If sin were out of the picture, is there any other thing that we're really struggling with right now? No, it's really not. That is the great antagonist, and our greatest problem is, is that it's internal. So here's what I'm going to do. Number one, if you turn over on the back of this, this tree idea, 
And these scripture references that you see are actually a concerted effort of some of the young guys in our church who get together on Tuesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. for a Bible study. And we're going through a book right now called Point Man by Steve Farrar. And we're talking, we were talking a lot at this time about the idea of controversy. Why is something deemed controversial? Why is that word used? And what does it seek to accomplish? And so we started listing off what are things that are considered controversial. And then we asked the question, has the Word of God spoken to this? If not in detail, at least a principle. And so the back of this is the manifestation of a lot of what came up in this little study. Not saying that all of these are complete. Maybe we have to think just a little bit to put all the pieces together. But this would also be something good to maybe go through each one of these subject lines, work through the passages on your own, and maybe you know of some others that you could add to this for you. But here's one thing that I think is interesting is that God has spoken to an incredible amount of topics. He has a lot to say. And there's virtually nothing that He's left undone. And if He has said something about it, we have to deal with it. How many people are fans of propaganda? Anybody? Anybody like it? We usually like the artwork that comes with it, yeah? It's got to be eye-catching as well. Here's a definition of propaganda. You ready? Everybody listen. Information, ideas, or rumors deliberately spread widely to help or harm a person, group, movement, institution, nation, etc., Second definition, the deliberate spreading of information or rumors. Spreading of information, good. We want that, yes? Spreading of rumors, good? No, but yet we have a whole series of shows. The Little Housewives of Atlanta. Have anybody seen that one? It's like you have to be four foot eight to be on the show. If you're four foot nine, you can't do it. Something like that? How strange. I don't know, I was too busy reading my Bible. I wasn't watching that, Pastor. What do you think? I just heard about it, right? Rumors are gossip. A world that's thriving off of promoting gossip in order to either help or harm a certain people or agenda. We often call that politics, but I'm not bringing that up in this sermon. But it's a way of pushing people into a direction. To persuading to getting them involved. Now, let's not make any bones about that. I would hope that every one of us in here are interested in persuasion as well. I'm interested in persuading people of why they need Jesus Christ because they can't save themselves. I'm highly interested in that. So if you want to get into the persuasion game, yes. But our persuasion game is very different. People are not won by us manipulating language. People are won to Christ by telling them the truth. And when you tell the truth, you cannot have false flags out there. There's no reason why we should apologize for anything that the Bible has to say. Unless it doesn't know what it's talking about. Unless God was confused on an issue and He really didn't understand it. Oh, I'm sorry. you gotta, you got you to give God some grace here. He wasn't aware that we feel like this. 
Does everybody see the problems that happens? Because then all of a sudden you have to back up and you have to say, well, if that's the case in this situation, why should I trust God at all? And the conclusion you come to is that you can't. So when we start apologizing for God, which we should never do, that creates a problem. Now, does that mean that we whip out our protest sign, start yelling and screaming at people and throwing eggs? No. <laughs> Only when I do it to your house. Okay. Second definition here, controversy. That's what we're talking about, controversial issues. You should have seen some of the graphics that Mitch came up with for this. He's like, do you have a sermon graphic for this? I said, no. He said, I think I got one. And it's a city that's on fire. And it says controversial issues. I said, wow. No? <laughs> it looked awesome. But no? Maybe if I were naming my punk band controversial issues, that might be a good album cover. I don't know. I've lost a lot of you. Here we go. Controversy. Number one, a prolonged public dispute, debate, or contention. Disputation concerning a matter of opinion. That's really what controversy is about. Second definition, contention, strife, or an argument. It's so funny because when you type controversy in on Google, you'll have Prince's album on called Controversy come up. You can only read two out of the ten songs that are titled on that album. Why? Because they're controversial. Don't look it up. It'll poison your eyes and your mind. Don't do that. But I thought, maybe that's a good example. Nope. Big realization today. Here's a question. Why would somebody want to stir controversy? It draws attention. Doesn't it call something into question? Generates interest and power. It's what we got to do to move a, a movement forward. In fact, think about this real quick. By somebody using the designation controversy, doesn't that already tell you that they understand what a norm is beforehand in order for this to have to be controversial from it? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what a straight line is. Now notice that we're not even talking about believer or unbeliever. We're just talking about a basic idea that everybody understands in some sense what a norm is and that in order for something to be controversial, it has to push against the fabric that has already been laid because it seeks to accomplish an end. That's a problem. Because the question that you and I would need to ask is, is, was the norm broken? Was it faulty? Was it wrong? Was there something that didn't add up right? Why did we have to go in this direction? How is this, here's a good indication, everybody lick your finger and hold it to the wind. How is this better? In fact, one interesting thing we need to ask ourselves about of a lot of the issues that we see up in the tree there is this. Are controversial issues a progression for a better way, a greater development, or a superior result? Or have we seen them to be a regression in quality, worth, and furtherance? Furtherness. Further, furtherance? Furtherance. 
when anybody wants to promote and make a controversial issue a norm of our society. Has society gotten better or worse? Are we seeing that now? Everything is that way. It's almost like we couldn't be satisfied with what we had. And so we either got greedy or selfish or discontent, not my word, or stupid. I won't tell anybody you said that, Sherry. And somehow what we were given by God was not enough. Isn't that the problem in the garden? You realize we haven't changed? I know some of us look back on Eve and we're like, wouldn't have happened on my watch. I don't even like apples. Doesn't say it was an apple, but you know where we go with that, right? And somehow we overestimate and we inflate ourselves that we would have been better people than she was. She never knew what temptation was to that moment. Which should maybe make us think a little bit about how society progresses in that way. Is It's usually all a result of either temptation coming from the outside or sin being stirred on the inside. Recognize this, guys. We don't need Satan to sin. We're really good at it all by ourselves. Now here's what's interesting about this. It's really fitting the Gideons are here. God has spoken. God has something to say. He's not silent. He's not deaf. He's not dumb. He's not ignorant. He's not antiquated. He's not old. How can you possibly call an eternal God old? He's always fresh, right? And yet, those are the comments that I hear. My book's old. It's antiquated. It's dated. I don't have anything to say for now. It's about a lot of people that don't exist today. The churches of America would have no idea what's going on in the Middle East right now if it wasn't for the Word of God telling us Israel's past, present, and future. And so many churches are still saying, well, we're the new Israel. That is a reading problem. And we find ourselves wondering why there's such struggle. We don't read the Word of God. Notice on the back of your list there, I give you three things about God's Word. Number one, inspiration. That means that the Word is actually God-breathed. In other words, what comes from God Himself is enclosed on these pages. Now that's a pretty large claim. In fact, if anybody made that other than God, you would have to be concerned about it. So the idea of dismissing the Bible is the idea of dismissing God Himself. You cannot have one without the other. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. Why? What part contradicted itself? Because people have been searching it for 2,000 years and they cannot find whatever you have a problem with. It's all about me. 
It's all about my sin. It's all about what I want to do. The second thing here is inerrancy. Every problem is an inerrancy problem. I don't really believe what God has said about this subject. He's actually making the claim that this book is without error. Now that's hard for us because everything we know has error. Our computers have error. Our bosses have error. We have error. Our TV messed up. We had error. You saw that touchdown coming down. You knew he was going to catch it. And all of a sudden, Spectrum decides to pay you a visit and go... And you go, no! Error. Sweetheart, I ordered new filters for the vacuum. Oh, that's great. Can you change them out? Yeah. Oh, I ordered the ones for the last vacuum we had. That's True story. <laughs> error. We're so accustomed to error that the idea of something being perfect is so strange to us. But here are the two reasons why. Internally, within its pages, it's absolutely consistent. No one can find one contradiction in its pages. Go ahead and try. Read it from beginning to end. Tell me where they are. You cannot find them. So obviously, that's got to be the result of something that came out of something other than us. Why? Because we are full of error. And nobody could have proofread or double-checked enough in order for that to happen. Number two, outside of us, it speaks to everything that we deal with right now. Everything that we see within our life, regardless of how clouded or foggy it may seem, we put on the glasses of God's Word and we see everything plainly. We see everything, actually, it actually becomes so clear that it makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to accept it. It has a tendency to lovingly step on toes. And I think there's a point where we have to be okay with that. The last one, infallibility. It actually claims to have authority. The Bible's in charge. God's in charge. We don't like that. Have you ever noticed that our society suffers from an authority problem? Either from the diminishing of the offices themselves or the fact that we're just flat out a rebellious people. They're going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to listen to that. I don't care if it says 65. I'm a 67 kind of guy. I have to ask, Chief Manthe, how many miles over is okay? He said it depends. And I like you so much, I'm going to let that go. Okay? It's good. Okay. Good one. He said, he said if I'm taking a pregnant woman to the, to the hospital, it's okay. How many pregnant women have you taken to the hospital? Just one, right? Yeah, okay. We're good. We're good. We're good. It's good. Here's what's interesting. Inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. All three of these are necessary ingredients in order for you to have a standard that's worth anything. Think about what you're dealing with here. If it doesn't come from God, it's got to come from self. And we already know that self is full of error. So the product of self is going to be something that has error somewhere. Well, how in the world can that be worthy if we know there's error there? 
It can't. How about the idea of inerrancy? It's thoroughly true. We ourselves are not even internally consistent. Nor do we always tell the truth about the surroundings and what we see in life, do we? There's always a bias. Well, I saw the car crash this way. Well, I saw the car crash this way. And by the time you get everybody's eyewitness account together, you might come up with something that resembles what really happened. That's one of the struggles of trying to put that information together. So that's not going to work for us. Infallibility. I have authority. Parents, don't you love when you play that card? And don't you love when that card comes back to bite you? Don't you love when God all of a sudden brings upon you this whole, you know, sometimes I look at you that way. And all of a sudden you just, somebody let the air out of you. How come you don't listen? Jeremy, how come you don't listen? Because I'm a sinner. That's why. Because in that area of my life, God, I don't ultimately believe that you are the authority to call the shots. I believe that you can be Lord over this part, but guess what? That's mine. Hands off. Instead, I'm going to put that in a curio cabinet and let everybody see it because I'm so proud of it. Why? Because it originates in me. All three of these are qualities of perfection. The problem is, is we don't trust it. Let's just be honest. One of the reasons why we see such things springing up in these branches is because a distrust of an inspired, inerrant, and infallible message to you and me happened. Or let me break it down. I just don't believe what God said. I don't believe He's in charge. I don't believe He knows what He's talking about. That's what it boils down to. Good quote. A.W. Tozer said, Unbelief is actually perverted faith, for it puts its trust not in the living God, but in dying men. Let me read it again. Unbelief is actually perverted faith. You're trusting in something. All of you would be shocked to death if I took one step to the left and went through the floor. Why? I was trusting in the floor and so were you. Guess what? It didn't hold me. Unbelief is actually perverted faith, for it puts its trust not in the living God, but in dying man and so here's the question in order to sort out all the avenues and knots of controversy what do we need we need two things the first one is an authority somebody's got to know what they're talking about you ever gone to news stations and you recognize that all of a sudden they all sound the same and you step back and you're like wait a second none of these people know what they're talking about It's an amazing realization. We're all looking for somewhere to trust. Let's be honest, we all are. We just want to know the truth about a matter. And then here's God coming along with paper and ink and inviting every single one of us, know me, know me, know me. And guess what? All that controversy gets straightened out real quick. Why? Because God, being good, only has the greatest intentions for our lives if we would only listen to what He has to say. Just step off our own horse for a second and give Him a hearing. 
So the first thing you need is an authority. You need somebody who's in charge. Who knows what's going on. Let me give you an example real quick from our list because this is interesting. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested for preaching the gospel. They actually healed somebody. Nobody could rejoice over that and be happy about it. We had to arrest some people and take them into the authorities. The authorities. You ready? Chapter 4 of Acts. Look at what happens here. Verse 19 and 20. Sorry, let's look at verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Everybody see that? That's what the authorities think. Now watch this. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. There's an answer that will catch your attention. But look what they say. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so word on the street is is that another lockdown is going to come about because of COVID. Shut down and shut up. I think a good answer would be, well, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. As for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing. Appreciate the fact that you can gather for church and be there. Show up. Stay open. That's one example. But here's what's interesting about that. How many people, when you think of the word authority, you think of it as being rigid? Anybody? kind of cold yes especially when somebody lets you know they're in charge well i'm such and such right and what we all do is we go and we roll our eyes that's what we do good grief one of these guys that's what we do authority has got to have a second component it's love It's love. It's not a mystery. In fact, this is the reason why God tells us that He is love. This is why we're commanded such things as do not love the world or the things in it. It's all passing away. So don't love those things. Don't emotionally and internally invest yourself. See, it would be really hard for us to quantify what in the world love is if we don't have an authority guiding us in the proper direction of what love is. And if God is not telling us what love is, then the question needs to be had, who has the answer to this? Pay attention. The world is not giving you answers. It's not. Here's what I think love is. Here's what I think love looks like. Here's how I think love feels. Here's how I think we should picture love. But the problem is, is all of those sources are internal and they're in error and there's no authority. 
But if we can self-define it, pause. We love that. Why? Because then we can just twist it any way we want to and it works however we want to. Life is not a Rubik's Cube. We cannot twist that around. And so if you and I have an authority that is often dismissed for one reason or another, and we're going to uphold that authority and we might suffer persecution because of it, it's got to be coupled with something that lasts in this temporal world. And if it is not love, then we don't understand what we're doing here. Why do you tell people the Gospel? Hopefully because you love them. I hope we don't have a list at home on a whiteboard somewhere of people I really want to go to hell. Here they are. I hope we don't have that. Let me ask you this. Have you prayed for Hamas? Can you imagine how crazy it would be if a revival went through a terrorist organization? That would be amazing. See, we underestimate the value of God's authority over all things and the fact that love is what propels Him to save the world. And I think the reason is is because we're so often taking our definitions and cues from lesser created sources rather than the source and the Creator, the uncaused cause of all things. That's our problem. We don't look to God enough. We've segmented life. He can be here, He can be here, He can be here. Stay out of here, God. Get out of here. That's not Christianity. It's not a people who are living as if they have the corner on the truth. If the truth has become a baseball bat, We've got a problem. And we should not feel intimidated and we should not fear and we should not be troubled. Why does Peter tell us that? Because when you have the truth, everybody else is wrong. I hate to state it that way, but that's true. So why am I worried if other people don't believe it? If it's not because love brings me to the point of saying, I don't want you to die and end up in a place where you can't have any contact with God at all, then my point has been missed. I'm more worried about justifying myself than I am about what God actually did. Got all the authority in the world and good grief, we'll take it up and we'll use it like brass knuckles. But if it's not motivated by love as our Creator was motivated by love, it does not matter. It's not gentle. It's not respectful. It's not going to leave you with a clear conscience. It has nothing to do with humility. When we talk about God's love for us, we are always talking about love as God is and how He defines it. This never lapses into our worldly and anemic understanding of love, which has conditions and biases and is filled with discrimination. But we are speaking about the joyous, the selfless, the fearless manifestation of divine passion as seen in the death of Jesus Christ that established a perfect way for the Creator to reach inside the helpless wretch of humanity and impart a full acquittal of all wrongdoing and gifting them with life that does not end and establishing a permanent relationship that can never be severed by it being attained to easily because He asks nothing of our efforts 
to receive it. He only asks that his son and giving him was enough. That's love. That's love. And it is my responsibility. And it is the elders of this church and it is the deacons of this church to keep this body on track and not forsake the Word of God because we had a better opinion. And not set it aside because we thought that this was a better way. That God-sized love is how we deal with the hurt feelings in the process. But the idea that, well, God didn't mean what He said, or, yeah, God said that, but that's not what it really means, has created so much problems that the idea of coming to terms with being wrong is now an infringement upon people. Even the losing team gets a trophy now. What have we done? Well, we don't want anybody to be left out. That's not truth. It's good intentions. It's the desire to care for people. But when it's done at the expense of what's true, then all you've done is lied to people into feeling better for a moment. That's not God. And that diminishes God. And that diminishes His Word. And there's no one responsible for that but us, the bearers of it. I know. My preaching professor is standing in the back with his arms folded saying, so what? Why does it matter? Every struggle we have today is a truth struggle. Every issue that comes up on our headlines is a truth issue. And we have to have truth and love married in such a way as to where we are actually being the body of Christ because for too long the church has been told, sit down, shut up, don't say a word. Guys, we're the only people that have something to say. And it's because we are seeking to faithfully represent God. Period. We are the only people. So live for Him. Care about what He cares about. Search the Word and find out what drives Him to reach beyond all the other iffy qualities of people, because there's a lot in every one of us. And say, I love you regardless. Pointing them to the cross of Jesus because we all need it. We all need it. Lord, we thank You for the truth. Lord, if there's any dispute in our hearts and minds, that's where it lies, is with the truth. 
if there is any unbelief in us now, we have to ask the question, what is it then that we're believing in? If we understand that a lot of controversy is to move away from what you've already established, help us to ask the question, how does this make life better? How does this further us in a greater direction? How does this cause us to achieve levels and areas that were previously not possible? Or help us to recognize that there's a degrading that's taking place. A lesser that we should settle for. You wouldn't have given us your truth if you didn't want us to know it. To read it. To at least be knowledgeable about what you've said. And you wouldn't have given your son if you didn't care about saving us. But because we have both of those things, we know that You are the authority. And we know that You are the standard of love. And Your desire is to reach past what we've done and draw us to Yourself because of who we are. Very much made in Your image. Very much made in Your likeness but desirous of sin and needing Your help. Thank You that Jesus meets us there. Thank You that Jesus willingly gave His life. Thank You that Jesus has promised to come again. Thank You that everything that is said by Jesus is truth. Lord, if we're not settled on these issues, I pray that the Holy Spirit surfaces them in our hearts and our minds. Help us to look at our world as it truly is. Sinful. Broken. Hurt. Beaten down. Father, help us to tell people that we'd be motivated by Your truth and Your love to tell them about Jesus. I ask that in His name. Amen.